When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, you're cute. Like a velvet glove cast in iron. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to violence. The word and the act. While violence cloaks itself in a plethora of disguises, its favorite mantle still remains sex. Violence devours all it touches, its voracious appetite rarely fulfilled. Yet violence doesn't only destroy, it creates and molds as well. Let's examine closely then this dangerously evil creation, this new breed, encased and contained within the supple skin of woman. The softness is there, the unmistakable smell of female. The Movies That Made Me is now a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. You sound pretty good, and we are yeah. only we are only audio, so uh, uh, you wouldn't you won't be able to watch it if you. Thank want. God, yeah. <laughs> that's why I agreed to do that. He yeah. just called he just called us ugly, Joe. No, it was, it's completely my own. <laughs> um, uh, well, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on, and uh, it's a it's a true honor. Uh, and we we got to thank Noah uh, Van Skyver um, because uh, uh, was Noah on your show. No, I didn't even know. I've been Facebook friends with him for a while, but only as a sort of like, uh, I don't do this very often, but I'm such a fan of his stuff. And he popped up on Facebook and we have a couple of, I guess, mutual friends. And then he just, uh, it was hilarious. He just reached out to me a few months ago and made some sort of passing comment. Like, I, I don't know, like, you know, does Joe hate movies about puppies or something like that? And it was literally our first exchange. And I was like, wait a minute, what? You, you listen to our show? <laughs> <laughs> When did I ever knock movies about puppies? Oh, I don't know. It wasn't puppies. It was something else. Actually, Joe loves. That was a terrible example. Joe's Joe's a hardcore <laughs> animal, animal and puppy lover. And then we had this lovely Unlike back and Dr. forth. Oz. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, we should try to figure out what are like the best ten movies about puppies. That I bet there's only like four. <laughs> I have this thing where I I don't. Um, I'm surrounded more and more by people. Uh, my wife, uh, Joe, I think is one. My friend Adam, who are uh, they they can't watch a film if an animal is harmed for real. I mean, they can watch sort of fake animals getting it, I guess. No Italian and, cannibal movies for us. And, yeah. and I, I tend to be of the mindset that most of the movies in which actual animals were hurt were so long ago that those animals would have died by natural causes anyway. Or, yeah. It's I might just be a monster. <laughs> but the, French, I, the French are especially happy to kill animals in the sake of art. You know, well, that's I'm glad. Okay, so that that's helpful. Do you remember the film Baxter? Do you remember this, Joe, about the evil yeah. dog? Yeah, it's an amazing film about an evil dog, and the dog narrates, "I am Baxter." 
and I know it does terrible things to people. And it just came out on Blu-ray, Blu-ray, and I was going to show it to a bunch of friends. But I'm like, I don't remember. It seems likely that other dogs are going to get hurt in this film, and I don't want that experience of. And, and I can't find a website that indicates whether or not dogs were hurt in the making of Baxter. So yeah, yeah. In um, Europe, you always figure like they're just like look the other way. We shoot the dog, you know, shoot the <laughs> rabbit. We have for dinner. And they would do things like that. Oh yeah, and life is cheap over there. That's right. That's yes. Right. So uh, well, let's let's jump in. We're talking about. Uh, well, we're talking too. Talking too, yeah. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Joseph. Thank you. Um, I, I'm so psyched. Anyway, I, I have been a fan. I was I was trying to remember. It's one of those things where like, you know, this you get to a point in your life, and I don't remember where my uh, relationship, if you will, with an artist or filmmaker ever began. I feel like I was there. A, did they do an excerpt of yours in Love and Rockets at they one did. point? Wow. Would that would that be a place where like someone? Because I remember coming across your stuff and going just this this. This artist is so interesting. Um, that would have been the first place anybody would have seen my work. I think. Really? Well, yeah. okay. And that was, that was like Lloyd Llewellyn, right? Yeah, it would have been 1985. Good God. Okay. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. And well, um, yeah. So and, since, uh, since, <laughs> and he's done nothing since then, but I thought it'd be fun my co host is, is <laughs> avoiding mentioning your name. I said his <laughs> we name. Were, did I not? You didn't. Oh, we're talking, we're talking to the, the legendary. Uh, Dan Klaus, who I was going to build up in case there's anybody listening who doesn't know, but but what was so gratifying about kind of following you on your creative journey and then into Eight Ball, which I loved, and and um, uh, and Joe, I don't know if you were sort of this this doing these deep dives into Dan at this point, but you sort of suspected, but he did finally in Eight Ball there was a uh, a serialized story that kind of gave away some of the the ball game as to his influences called Like a Velvet Glove Cast in Iron. Which uh, of course is a line from Master Pussycat Kill Kill. Right. And uh uh I remember just going like ah, I knew I loved this guy. Um, <laughs> but it was so gratifying, it was so not the norm for someone in this world, kind of black and white indie comics, no matter how big he had gotten at that point, to have an actual honest to God theatrical feature film based on his work, let alone the one that was as great as Ghost World. Um which was just, uh, and I, I went back, I had not seen it in many years. I think I probably saw it four or five times um, after it came out and went back and watched it for the first time a couple of years ago and was just, I, I, I was knocked out more the last time I saw it than the first few times. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, my son just uh, turned 18 recently. And so we thought, now's the time to see daddy's movies, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Till he was old enough to maybe actually enjoy them rather than right. sit through it because I have to. Yeah. And it was so gratifying to watch him watch that in Art School Confidential and laugh at all these jokes. And then after oh, it, he goes, now I get all these jokes that you and mom make, you know, because we just <laughs> have been quoting lines from those movies for years without even remembering where they're from. Oh, that's so it was the end of his alienation now. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, the was that... beginning of a longer road of, of alienation, but it, it was uh, to, to look over and watch him genuinely laugh. I don't know that there's a better feeling. Oh, that's great! I, I yeah. love I love hearing that. Mind. 
I love hearing that. I've, I've, I've got a brand new son and I have many, many years before I can show him anything I've done. So it'll be a while. Uh, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> how, how old is your, your child now? Like he's three he's five months old now. So, five months. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's got about 28 years before I can show him history. You're right in that phase of like, what am I going to do? This will never get better. And then all of a sudden it'll, it'll be like, Oh, it's not so bad. I'm looking forward to him uh, enunciating. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And saying yeah. it's always yeah. it's fun when they when they turn like 15 and you realize they don't remember anything at all up until they're like five so like so all the things you obsessed over like why did i see <laughs> me you know cheating on my taxes or whatever it's like no he does not remember any of that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna differ my very first memory in this life was being in the bathtub we called it uh, which was the sort of storage area behind the back seat of a Volkswagen and it had like horse hair and it. it was very uncomfortable. My parents used to put me in there to sleep and being awake during a drive-in movie that they were at where I was supposed to be. Do you asleep. remember the movie? I was two years old and it was a double feature of, I, I was like, I say they're remembering this now, but I've gone back and right. realized, yeah, but it was help and the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Nice. Oh, that was a long double bill. It was a very, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember like there's key moments I remembered so vividly. It was incredible. Wow. But, yep. So, Cinematic memory. That's amazing. That was, yeah, that's my first memory. Let's, hey, ooh, ooh, segue, shall we? What's Speaking of cinematic memories. <laughs> Funny how it always gets around to that. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Dan, of, 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 you know, there's so many artists where it's like, um, you kind of sit there and, and I mean, artists in the, brought us into the word where you're like, Ooh, what are their influences? What are they going to talk about? But, um, one of the reasons I was so psyched to talk to you is I had a sneaking suspicion that I knew what some of the things you were going to talk about, uh, would be because they're, um, yeah. so they're, they're in the text pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I thought it'd be really fun to sort of get to the source of that and talk about some of the movies that not only have made you, but that you have used to make your own work uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, well, you brought up faster pussycat kill kill that was that was a you know i come from that era that we grew up i grew up only watching movies on television you know and occasionally right. my parents would take me to the theater once a year maybe and so you know the culture was limited to like what you could see when you stayed up till like three in the morning or something like that and it was but it, but you felt like you had a sense of like these are the things that movies can be made of you know, these are, there are Hollywood movies, there are exploitation movies, there are foreign films, but that's kind of it. And I kind of get the lay of the land and I feel like I know about almost every kind of film. And then at, at some point, I think a, a friend got a very early VHS player, Betamax player, I believe, mm -hmm. and ordered uh, Faster Pussycat from Russ Meyer himself. He was selling. That's right, yes. Yeah, he used, to, he used to sell all his stuff. Yeah, and I think he like filled out the envelope and everything, you know, <laughs> went to the Covina post office or wherever he lived. You never, yeah. so you never called the number on the sticker? I think we did, yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we harassed Russ. <laughs> so. He answered the phone. I was so I, like, I didn't yeah. know why. Meyer. I was like, oh my God, it's the great man. And I hung up the phone. I did a, I did a <laughs> signing once at the Golden Apple in LA. The sure. Comic store and uh, yeah. it was me me and kitten natividad oh wow <laughs> like I, I can't remember why and uh it's like the two sexiest people in <laughs> <laughs> why would you question that 
I did not. And, that, <laughs> and, uh, and Russ showed up and sat with us. Oh, wow. And he was immense. He was like, the, he was just what you want him to be. Just this immense, you know, lumbering, very, very funny guy. But, but seeing Faster Pussycat over at a friend's apartment, it, it opened up a whole new world. You can make this movie. You know, it's a movie that you just never thought could possibly exist in any time. Still doesn't feel like it could exist. Yeah. It's yeah. from a totally unique sensibility. It's a, it's sort of a cart, cartoon vision of the world, which really appealed to me. You know, it's the idea that he, uh, he populates this world with characters that look the way he wants them to. And he doesn't really care that they're not actors. And, uh, that you know that he just needs them to get like sort of approximate the correct emotion and then it uh, how how fellini like <laughs> very, very, i mean it's it's really an incredible film i was thinking about it this morning uh you know what i haven't seen it in a long time but i was thinking how it's it's all there's nothing in the background it's all the characters you know it starts out yeah. they're like salt yeah. flats doing racing you know, there's a brief uh, opening credits in a strip club. You never see anything but like a guy yelling, like, go, baby, go, you know, and you see the, the girls, you know, dancing back like that. And uh, the unmistakable scent of female. Yeah, I mean, it's the greatest opening of it. <laughs> yeah. Where he does that strange, like, P.T. Barnum voice. It's clearly Russ and Salt, you know, ladies, yeah. and welcome to Violets, the word. And yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> But but that it's it's in this like world of nothing, you know. It's it's in the they're doing the racing scene in the salt flats. They they then go to the guy's ranch. There's a brief scene at a gas station. You never leave the ranch, and you'd think like that would be stultifying, and it would at a certain point you'd go like, "Get me out of the desert! I want to be somewhere else." But because it's so intense and compelling and psychologically strange and specific you're you're riveted i mean it's almost it's more chilling than than almost any other movie it, it, the characters are so amoral mm -hmm. and the world is so hard to get, get a grip on there's the, the heroes are very ambiguous and the the villains go kind of in and out of focus as like oh maybe they're not so bad it's it's really a it's it's a mind fuck <laughs> in you know in the greatest sense of the word and um to me the, the thing i always loved about the film is the dialogue because mm -hmm. it is it i mean i got not only did i get like a velvet glove cast in iron from that one scene but the word eight ball that's where i got the title eight ball she goes uh you know he's looking for the gas tank the gas the pump jockey guy and she goes rear fender eight ball and I just thought that's it was right. That. That's right. Oh my god! And you know, but the whole movie is filled with with the strangest dialogue. And I was like, "Who is the guy who wrote this?" So I looked this up. This I don't know, ten years ago. This guy's name was Jack Jack Moran. Now that sounds familiar. And I looked him up, and he had been a very big child actor in the '30s. He played Huckleberry Finn in the Tom Sawyer movie. As Jackie Moran. Jackie. That's, that's Jackie. how he was billed. Yeah. That's right, Jackie Moran. And he uh, he's in Gone with the Wind. And, I mean, he was a huge for about twelve years, and uh, and then 
God knows how, like, how did he wind up <laughs> three or four? He wrote three or four Russ Meyer films. Man, he was still in the biz. <laughs> where did, you know, where did this they beat up? You know, there's so many unanswered questions. Which, which, which other ones do you know? I mean, I'm going to look them up. Which else, which other ones did he write? It's an incredible, it's an incredible resume. It's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's that like Bobby Driscoll kind of career. Right. Like, wow. Without, without the tragic end. Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe writing WrestleMania movies doesn't, doesn't, uh, isn't the great ending. Nah, it's better than overdosing. Hi, there are some, there are some beautifully written Russ Meyer movies. But uh, did he do? No, he did not. I was, I was wondering if he had, had anything to do with Mud Honey, which is my favorite. Uh, he did not. He, Russ Meyer he wrote uh, Finders Keepers and one, one of the, uh, maybe Mud Lock Heaven. And then I like all the rest of my movies, but none of them quite come together like Faster Pussycat. There's something about. Also, that was know. his black and white period, which I think is actually more interesting than I do, his, his I color do. period. Though I, though I do, um, I think Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is, is a, it, it's, it's singular. There's just yes. nothing else like yeah. it. It's yeah, the those, cult movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way, I, I have I mean, over the years, where do you, are you, a, a, I just reject, and I, I didn't used to, but I reject the whole, it's so bad, it's good notion these days. No, it's like, so good, it's good. But, yeah, exactly, <laughs> but beyond that, that was one of the reasons, things that yeah. got me there, is like, finally the day it hit me, it's like, no, this is not so bad, it's good, this is a great fucking movie, period. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> non-stop propulsive movie, it's filled with some of the greatest uh, inspired movie making moments. Mm-hmm. There's one of the greatest cuts, probably the great cut in cinema history, which is it cuts from a from a gynecological exam to <laughs> pancake batter pouring in a pan. Which is really like He's I don't know why that is abortion. so incredible and yet it is. Yes. Um it's so grand. Well how I wanna how old were you? Um because I feel like uh, there was that period where sort of, you know, I think for people that were, were around the same age, I think where a movie like Faster Pussycat would be something you'd hear about for a while before you ever had any opportunity to see it. It was John, uh, John Waters said it was his favorite yes. film. That's right. And of course, we all worship John Waters in art school in the 70s. Yeah. And, uh, but he would always talk about stuff that he knew you could never see. You know, that, was that kind of thing of, of uh, yeah, I've seen this incredible thing, but you never will. And it, it felt like that. You know, how are we going to see an out of circulation Russ Meyer movie? It was not. There's no apparatus for that. So it was that early, early days of, of uh, you know, videotapes. Yeah. That was where we made the leap from. You know, we went from watching movies with commercials on TV where a half hour was cut out of it. That was the only way you'd see most movies. To then getting old enough to go to revival houses. And they, you know, they always showed the same 30 movies at most revival houses back in the right. 80s. And then all of a sudden the world opened and the, you know, the video stores started stocking stuff. And then then people get so obsessed with these movies that they'd start showing them in theaters. I think one yeah. of the one of the greatest feelings I ever had was uh, going to a screening of Faster Pussycat in about I don't know 1993 or something, 
And when she says, like a velvet glove cast in iron, like three people clap. Three isolated weirdos in the background. Um, yeah, it was such an interest because yeah, there was that. I remember as a kid just thinking, "There's all these movies we're never going to get to see." Never, you know. You'd, you'd uh, you, even to read about them was was uh, amazing, and, yeah. and and it was in a way. I think a lot of my inspiration for like the early eight ball was from that idea of there are these things out there that you will that you can't see, and what are they, and are they like the best things and they're hidden from you because they don't want you to see them. And a, a lot of times you would finally see them and they'd, yeah, maybe they're not as enticing as, uh, you know, as the movies still let you think they right. would. Like imagine if the first time you finally saw a Russ Meyer film, it was the seven minutes. <laughs> oh, you know, I was, I, I love the seven minutes. Me too. Are you really? Oh my yeah. god! I want to get right on the seven way to, minutes. Way to read the room, Olson. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I didn't, know I, I, I didn't know I had found you two. I like that it's divorced from his whole thing, and yet yeah. it's still supremely a Russ Meyer film. And it's the cutting is just so unusual great. for. I mean, it's a studio it's movie, and they let him have that kind of editing style, I guess, to get rid of him because that was his him. last picture at Fox. Was, yeah. Let him cast, you know, J.C. Flippin as a like demented congressman. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a, it's. I remember a great shot in that where where the I think it's Phil Carey as the lawyer, and he's he's very upset, and they zoom in on his pencil, and he just snaps the pencil like in the middle. Of it. Love that. <laughs> I guess I have to give it another shot. You know, it did. There was some. Uh... Can't remember. There were there was a, a British Blu-ray and an American Blu-ray of uh, dolls that came out at the same time. One was Criterion, and one was I think Arrow. I think I ended up getting. I can't remember. One of them actually came with a a DVD, mind you, not a Blu-ray of the Seven Minutes. And oh, uh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even shot. I've I've only ever seen it in terrible VHS. I've never actually. No, no, you should take a look at it. It's it's it has its charms. All right, all right. Everything he does has moments of inspiration that only like a true artist yeah you know put it like where even their worst thing there are moments that's like yeah. oh nobody else could do that even black snake i'm i'm, I'm working i'm working it <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah that's, that's pretty 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 much toward the bottom of the barrel yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. weirdly i saw that in the same movie theater that uh uh, uh the guy turns into a werewolf an american werewolf in london in. oh in in britain in, in in Piccadilly Circus, mm -hmm. yeah, in, in right at Soho, yes. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> pointless pointless memory there. Um, <laughs> that's what we do here. Uh, well, cool. Well, what else? You, you, you give us another one. Um, um, okay, so so my my primal movie is uh, is a movie called Lady in a Cage, part of the hag exploitation genre. Yeah. Um. I saw this movie very, very young on the WGN, you know, afternoon movie when I was six, maybe. Mm -hmm. Do you know the film? It's uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Maybe it's uh, it's 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 famous for the shot of James Caan's head under the car wheel. Washed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which was not in the version I saw, <laughs> but it but it did for some odd reason it did have the 
she she uh, gouges out his eyes. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, that uh, and you know it's sort of the Oedipus moment. You know we're in this in this very uh, Oedipal world, and and he pulls his hands away. And you, in my memory, you see like hollowed out eye. Like how did they do that? And uh, I just watched probably the first decent print of it ever. They they're showing it on Criterion now. <laughs> and, uh, and I just watched that. And uh, and it's just like you can see his eyes are closed and there's like vampire blood on. <laughs> it's not, it's uh, not as horrifying. Uh, but that that movie has such a deep misanthropy and and fear of the world at large that it infected my brain. I mean, I I grew up uh, with my grandmother and she lived in a didn't have an elevator but lived in an old house in a decaying neighborhood and she was always being having her purse snatched and being mugged. <laughs> And it just felt, it felt like that was the world we were in. And she was very kind of overprotective. So I related to the son who, you know, is going to kill himself if she doesn't like let him go. And, um, it's, uh, but, but the movie is peppered with these little moments where like the very opening scene, you just see somebody run over a dog. We're talking about killing animals. This is a very stuffed dog for anybody who's squeamish about it. <laughs> no doubt that is not a dog but 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 then it just shows the dog as the credits are rolling cars just driving by ignoring the dead dog that's the world we enter yeah in this house and the whole film has that they cut away to just scenes of people honking people you know people like angry people in traffic there's an incredible shot they just cut to of a little girl wearing roller skates and there's a like a homeless guy passed out with his bare leg sticking out and she rolls her roller skate on his leg and it's just it's such an odd film such a nasty piece of work and i remember being absolutely traumatized by that film uh and then wanting just wanting that feeling again you know growing <laughs> up <laughs> and i i think a lot of velvet the Velvet Glove story is all about that feeling of like this alienating, oppressive world that's sort of actively trying to attack you. <laughs> and uh, and so I I think I wanted to like get that out of my system. This this feeling I had from watching Lady in a Cage at such a young young age. And the, it's funny. I, yeah, I mean, I saw it too on TV for the first time, and yeah. and I just remember the atmosphere of it was was compelling. And I think it was one of those. Was the million dollar movie where they would show a movie like five times on the weekend? That's that's how we saw. It. And yeah, remember, and you would catch parts of like you would finally at the end of the weekend have pieced together an entire film, not necessarily in sequence. <laughs> but I, I remember, love, I love how all the all the people who enter the house are archetypes. There's like, there's like you know James Caan is sort of the Marlon Brando wild one, uh -huh. very doing his method acting. Then we have, uh, you know, there's like a prostitute, a drunk, Jeff Corey, incredible as a drunk, and Southern plays the old floozy. And, and the great thing is there's a, there's a pawnbroker character in it who just sort of learns about this from afar and watches the whole thing. And then at the end of the movie, he just goes in, takes all the stuff out of the house, all the silver, and drives away. And there's no repercussions at all. <laughs> 
Did you, Joe? You <laughs> must have seen that in the theater, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, it, it was it was somewhat controversial in its time because it was considered so violent, and 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 to have Olivia de Havilland, who was a, such a prim and proper actress, you know, yeah. fronting this thing. Yeah. Uh, was was uh, as you said, it was the hag exploitation era, and all all the former leading ladies were now making horror pictures. Uh, yeah, she's sort of the, the the good hag in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yeah, but she's Charlotte. a bad one in this one because she's and ruined then, her yeah, ruined her family's life, and she kind of deserves what she's getting. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a few lines where she's like, "Oh, these people on welfare." You know, she's they're clearly trying to present her as like you kind of deserve this, but maybe not not this, but um, but it, it's uh, it's a paranoid I love, classic. I love looking up hags in movies and seeing how old they are because oh yeah what is she 48 in this film (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i like tell my wife like she's she's much younger than you (laughs) this hag and of course you look you know i look at her now and i'm like she's beautiful like what why is she a hag you know doesn't make any sense but but as a kid it was i would have thought oh she's a hundred years old you know exactly imagine she's going to live any longer yeah 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 there's something yeah that is that is that is a movie that just once you have seen is not forgotten i am i have i don't think i've seen it since those days on tv really yeah it's a, it's a pretty yeah. good movie it yeah actually, but it just so it much really of it walter groman directed it beautiful that that's very uh that's a tough one because it, it yeah it's this walter groman and luther davis who are unknown I've tried. I watched a few of their other very films. prolific in television. Both of them they made television films, yeah. and I've oh. I've watched a few on YouTube, and nothing comes close. Really? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was this was just they, them just letting this be fly. I do love that kind of director, the one the one film director, you know, who makes like this is our masterpiece. We did it, you know, and then nothing else. Right. <laughs> so, which is which could be a segue. Not that I'm consciously doing this. Uh, to the uh, an, another film that I saw, uh, somehow saw this at, as a teenager in Chicago. Some it was like a hippie theater in Chicago showed on Chien Andalou, along with this movie Dementia or Daughter of Horror, <laughs> two surrealist films, and so I went and saw this and uh that movie felt like the another opening to a new world you know that was before eraserhead but Mm -hmm. when i saw eraserhead i felt like oh he he has definitely seen dementia or daughter of daughter of daughter daughter of horror is the is the is the commercial version of a movie that was so uncommercial, <laughs> but only played, it only played one theater in New York and then it, and it closed. And then a couple of years later, the guy who, who produced The Blob bought it and retitled it Daughter of Horror and added a narration. I was going to say, is there a narration from someone like there, but, there's no, but there's no dialogue in the movie at all. No. Who's the narrator? There's somebody. Ed, 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 it's Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon, that's right. Yes. And he but I, the, the jury is still out as to whether it's really the same Ed McMahon because it, if you know his voice, it's almost impossible to connect it with this. Oh, really? This voice. Oh, yeah. I have faith in Ed McMahon that he could pull that <laughs> off. But I love the narration is hilarious. It, it's like you know, in, in the movie, there's all these 
Freudian like psychological connections the the woman is chased by a cop throughout the whole movie and then you later learn the same actor playing the cop also plays her father in the scene where she kills her father and and you don't need that pointed out that's such a great detail but in you know Ed McMahon is like the mean? man who is the policeman chasing you who is also your father <laughs> <laughs> It's a better movie without the narration. It's, it's a great movie. <laughs> and it's got the incredible uh, Marnie Nixon, you know, the voice yeah. actress from who did all Julie Andrews singing. She does the incredible kind of acapella score that's sort of the sound of, a, of an insane voice shrieking in your head. And the music is by George Antheil, who is actually a pretty, pretty prominent composer. How um, did they get Antheil? Yeah, the... The DP is uh, John Thompson, who did all the Ed Wood movies, and it yeah. looks somewhat Ed Woodish. Although yeah, I think that makes it's sense. Better. But it's got so many. It, it's got all these moments like uh, Angelo Rosito, the little person who had had a huge. He probably had the, the only good career out of this film. He uh, he's they're just he's like a newsboy in the beginning. He's just got this newspaper crudely printed, mysterious stabbing. I love that. <laughs> and, Bruno very, v, yeah. and Bruno V. Soda. Uh, v. Soda is, yeah, the place. Yeah, who, was, his, who, who some have said, uh, I, don't, I don't ascribe to this theory, but who have some have said is actually the real John Parker. Who, John Parker is the guy who gets the credit for the movie. Yeah. Uh, but people have said, well, I've seen movies that Bruno V. Soda directed, and they're kind of like this. And yeah. so, you know, who knows? I mean, no, no, nobody's talking, they're all gone. I like the idea that the the actress who plays the gammon is the character's name she uh she was supposedly john parker's secretary and had a dream that was this story and he not only decided to i'm going to make a movie of that dream i'm going to make a one hour well movie. it is a dream movie it's a bad dream movie <laughs> a bad dream movie and and then i'm going to cast you my secretary in this role and she's even in a silent movie, she's very clearly not an actress. And <laughs> it makes it all the more potent because you're like, this woman is so compelling. This is really happening to her. It's an incredible thing. It's, it, uh, it's, uh, it's available, I think, uh, in a new um, uh, Blu-ray uh, with both, both versions of the picture on the Blu-ray. I think it's from, it might be from a foreign company, but I don't know. But it's, 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 it's around. You can get it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's very uh, kind of predates Eyes Wide Shut a little bit, you know, it has that, and it's an hour and a half shorter. And by the <laughs> way, Jerry, they, they do indeed have it at uh, Movies Unlimited, Movies our, Unlimited, our of course they do, yeah, of course they do. There we go, making this the perfect place to take a minute and thank moviesunlimited.com for being our wonderful sponsor. Many of the movies we talk about on the show are available there. Moviesunlimited.com, they're the expert on movies since 1978. You'll find thousands of titles to choose from. Classics, hard to find stuff, and new releases too. Support our sponsor and be good to yourself. Um, you know as well as I do that physical media is where it's at. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and find your whole collection just gone based on the capricious whim of some streamer. Plus, you have all kinds of goodies like the deleted scene, the commentary tracks, and, and you, you name it, all sorts of goodness. So buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com, where they've got classics, imports, hard-to-find films, and, of course, new releases, too. 
Prices are great. The choices are endless. Own the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get elsewhere. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The, uh, I can't, my God, we've been doing this long enough. It was one of our very earliest episodes, Joe, where somebody brought this up. I'd never heard of it. And uh, yeah, I went off and I, I watched the uh, the narrated version because that seemed to be so it's, um, one of the one of the things I have discovered from doing this show is the joys of daughter of horror slash dementia. Well, it, it lacks the purity of dementia. Yeah, dementia I've, I've intended to go back and watch the pure version yeah. at some point. I will. It's kind of like the like the uh, touch of evil with or without the Henry Mancini score at the and beginning. I, yeah, I first saw it with that score, and I just love that. Me too. It's 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 so hard to get used to it without it. And I want to be like, I hate that version. You know, I want to be like, I like the original without the score, but I really can't. I can't do it yet. It's it's yeah no, but it is it is a better movie. The one without the score is just it's. But you could we could we could we could just re-edit the score into it sometime. No, the best version of the movie I think is the preview version of Touch of People, which is closer to the release version but longer. Uh, mm. And and then and then you know George, Walter Mersch and those guys went back and tried to reconstruct it the, according to Wells's notes and uh, it's all it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love and it's 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 great but uh, I just um, I think I think the the other the other version is closer to certainly what I think of as Touch of Evil yeah but they're, uh, all, they're all great the, yeah and then all, they're all great any any version you can see is that, that is also true. Yeah, what's the, yeah? I mean, I will just mention, not going into it so much, but the other movie in this vein that I saw around the same time was Carnival of Souls. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was on a movie TV. That, no, I saw it at a like a weird film festival, and I think in the early eighties. Yeah. I had heard I, about it forever. I actually saw it on original release in um, Philadelphia. I, I took I took several several trains to get to the far away uh black theater so uh, that was running that with um, <laughs> so a double bill with the devil's messenger and um it was uh it was i, I thought it was fascinating i mean it's 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 really uh you know for a movie made in uh, kansas um yeah. by a guy who was an industrial filmmaker very very george uh, romero-ish in that, in very that george sense, romero. you know yeah. um 
but it's a, it's a it's really a, a very very interesting movie. Yeah, it's it's haunting in a way that it's hard to shake. I mean, that movie really stuck with me for you know years. <laughs> it was it just it felt you know it had all the the great feelings um, that I got watching Twilight Zone episodes mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. seven years old. You know, I remember watching some of those when they were first run. And uh, and just that feeling of like, okay, there's this other world out there that's that's truly terrifying, and is the way I feel inside my brain. And Carnival of Souls kind of replicates that. And and rarely can a movie kind of pull that off for a full ninety minutes, but that one really does. It really has that that kind of uh, just that the when you watch a movie like that where you've never seen anybody in it. And you've never seen the world, and you feel like you're you're seeing some whole new thing, and it it's it's almost like a different form of a of a mainstream horror movie, but like yeah. with everything slightly off. So it's like a dream of a of another horror movie or something. But anyway, I also I also so, think of that um, in conjunction with Night Tide as well. Well, obviously Night it, has, it has Dennis Hopper, but it's still you know who you've seen before. But well, it's uh, those yeah. it's those indie movies that were being made around that period that that are actually really interesting uh it was a whole a whole uh whole subculture going on particularly in you know if you want to go to the various states there are people trying to make uh, movies that were not you know funded from hollywood and all that and um and and night Night tide is curtis harrington who of course was you know a big film buff and uh, a big val luton follower uh actually going to segue into um as a as a teenager of the the uh, just the impact of the ABC movie of the week mm. really good at how much effect those had on me. And I was actually going to mention a Curtis Harrington one, which is Devil Dog, Hound of Hell. Hound of Hell. <laughs> I figured out when it was released. It was like on Halloween night in I think 1977 or eight. Um, and I remember thinking like, this, this should not be on television. This is really like, there's a scene where very clearly like a woman's like has sex with the dog, the dog from hell. Like it's got all the coding of like they put in the bedroom. And then the next morning, uh, <laughs> like, why are we seeing this on, on ABC television? And, uh, and so I re- there's actually a very good copy as of right now on, on YouTube. And so I watched it recently and it's so clearly like, you know, it, it's it, at the end of the movie, it turns into this kind of satanic cult led through the dog. that's like up in the attic of uh, uh, Dabney Coleman's home, you know, and it's <laughs> a suburban family that where the daughters all get taken into this devil cult. And it's like, there's paintings of the devil and all these props. And you realize like, Oh, it's just like Curtis Harrington's stuff that he brought. Right. <laughs> like, not, not prop house stuff at all. It's like, no, this is like the real heavy duty, like Kenneth Anger, uh, you know, stuff that that only like somebody who's really dabbling in this Satanism would actually have. And I, I love that that got on television. It's insane to me. The, uh, that was definitely an era for for great yeah TV movies. It's sort of hard trying to explain those to people who. And it's so hard to find them. <clears throat> it is. Some of them, yeah, yeah. But the one that that I remember, like going to school the next day, and all my friends were like, "Did you see that?" Like we were we were haunted by was one called Bad Ronald. Yes. Yeah. 
which is based on a Jack Vance novel. You know, he's a pretty respected science fiction writer. And, and uh, you know, it's about this kid who lives with his oppressive mother, again, like Lady in a Cage, like a lot of these movies I'm talking about. He, uh, he accidentally kills a little girl who makes fun of his sickly mother and buries her in a shallow grave and then goes home and tells his mother and she builds a build like overnight they build this kind of like addition to their house where he's hiding in the wall and it's such a great and then and then she dies and again dabney coleman moves in with his three daughters into the house and they uh, and they have to uh you know he scott jacoby the actor is watching the family through these eye holes in the house it's just such a uh, such a great idea for a movie. It's like one of the few things I think about. Like I'd love to remake that. Oh, you know, do something with that because it's just such a it's such a twisted idea. Yeah, yeah. And there's I, no winners. You know, it's just like it ends and it's just like everything was bad. There's nothing, no hero. <laughs> but the the, uh, the great thing that I was that I related to as a kid was the kid in order to not go insane, makes up his own fantasy world mm. in the attic. And so he does these paintings of this kind of uh, Narnia-type place called the like Alentra or something, and draws these princesses, and he's the king and all that. I just thought that was such a great metaphor for how it is to be a isolated teenager. Yeah, we we had a great repertory theater here in LA for a long time. It went, uh, shut down many years ago, unfortunately. But um, see the family, and they actually showed that in the theater, uh, which was an amazing experience. Kind of getting to see that with a whole generation of like you know much much younger audience who had never seen anything like this, and they're all going, "But, but network <laughs> network TV." <laughs> was, I love that kind of that crapshoot of like you never knew it's Thursday night. There's yeah. a Robert <laughs> outrage. What's that going to be? <laughs> you know? Right. The the trailer looks good. It looks good, <laughs> and it was always like, yeah, that that was good. You know, at worst, it's like an hour and a half episode of Manix or something. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, there are worse things. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. What's 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 next, Dan? Um. So, I, look, thinking back. Through my comics, I was thinking, you know, we're talking about all these things that sort of were the basis for the velvet glove kind of stuff, which is, of course, more cinematic. But but half of my early comics are just humor pieces. And I was like, what what's the what was like the earliest film genesis of my humor? And I realized that like kind of the primal movie for that is um, is uh, the president's analyst. Mm. which I I think is one of the great unsung films. It was, it was my dad's favorite film when it came out. And I think it was on TV maybe two years later. I probably saw it in about 1969 or 70. Mm -hmm. I was yeah, the, the TV version has uh, outtakes and, and scenes that were cut out uh, to, to make it run longer. And they all, cause they all, they cut a lot of political stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the, and I have not seen that version since then. I've only seen the, the one. No, the rather theatrical version is the best one. Yeah. And it's that I grew up right near the University of Chicago um, on 
on the corner by my house with this place, Jimmy's Bar, that next door was the Compass Players Theater, which is where improv comedy basically began. That's where uh, where Nichols and May first appeared when they were, you know, just out of college. And and a lot of the people from this film, Severin Darden, oh, hey, sure. like that, yeah. yep. they were they were part of that community of where this is like right before I grew up, my, my dad was a bartender at Jimmy's bar and always talked about Nichols and May and Severin Darden and all these actors, Joan or, Darden. Artie Johnson, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That's how he ends up in it. And, yeah, so, and, and Ted Flicker, who directed the president's analyst, put a lot of those guys in his early movie, The Troublemakers. Trouble, uh, which, I, which I actually, I uh, went to the Pacific Film Archive a few years ago and cajoled them into getting the troublemakers for me because I had I had to see it and we had a little screening and it's really no, it's, it's it's a very good movie but it's it's almost unknown it's it's very it's it's all about the difficulties of getting a, a like a liquor license or a, or a cabaret license in New York or something which is obviously something Flickr had trouble with. <laughs> yes. but it's not fun. as much trouble as he had with Paramount no no and and I love I, that aspect of the president's i mean i love the 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 three days of the condor aspect taken mm -hmm. farce rather than seriously i love mm -hmm. uh you know it's got that kind of winter kills quality where they're just un endless levels of of subterfuge and it's you know it's almost like a david mamet film in that way but it's got i, I so love it to funny, scenes and care i love the relationship of severin darden and godfrey cambridge yes, yes. they have such a such a uh love for each other as actors that comes through in their performance um walter burke as as uh, j edgar hoover henry. no 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 henry lux remember <laughs> henry lux, yes. it was a different vacuum machine and, I, and the, <laughs> the joke of having everybody all the actors shorter than Walter Burke is one of right. those. <laughs> that's where Artie Johnson comes in. Yeah, that's right. Doing, doing his full on, you know, Joe Friday. Or William Daniels is the, the head of the family with the. William Daniels and. Go Joe get the car Charlie. gun, honey. That's so good. Charlie with their karate. It's such class. a great movie, and and uh, more people should know about it. I, it, it hasn't it hasn't dated. I mean, even though it's dated, it hasn't well. dated. It's yeah. it's it's all the surveillance stuff is kind of mind-bogglingly nowadays. I yeah. mean, even when it came out, it that felt like, well, that's that's not really happening. And now it's like, well, actually, that really is. <laughs> yes. Company really, Pat Harrington as a robot is really, you know, omnipresent. And what was actually, the story? I don't think I've ever talked about this joke, and I I, I should know more because there's a movie I you know, I love. I wish I could pick up my computer and show you. I have a poster in my living room. Um, did it originally start life? It was supposed to be a Flint movie. Was that the deal? That's, that's what I'd heard. But because there are elements of it that are a little slapdash. There are scenes that are cut together very strangely. Characters' costumes change from one shot to another. And there's this kind of weird disjointed quality to some of it that somehow manages to work. Well, all I remember is that the, the Paramount hated it so much that uh, they they wanted to completely recut it. And, uh, uh -huh. and Flickr managed to steal the the negative and he, he fooled them long enough that the negative was already cut before they could do anything about oh, it. good for him and um they were they were they, they that was the end of his career at paramount uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah aip here i come it's a it's tragic because that really is up there to me with the graduate and films like that 
Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. I uh, I had an opportunity to show a film at the Berkeley Film Archive a few years ago, and they asked me, you know, pick a film, and I thought, well, nobody's seen this film, so I picked The President's Analyst, and I got to show it to it like a young audience. And it was so rewarding. Everybody came up to me afterwards and was like, what was that? I've never heard yeah. of that. <laughs> you know, they, everybody loved it. It was so gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of movies like that that I love that are kind of the, the 60s that only really happened in movies. Right. You know, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls also. You could see him Hello. wandering into a club and seeing the Carrie Nations playing. It would make Maybe at Bill Spector's house or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, I love that movie so much, so much. What's uh, what is what is next, sir? He's um, great. Well, I guess we can segue from Artie Johnson's uh, is doing his like Joe Friday bit where he's very flat into. Um, <laughs> I had a sort of a childhood obsession with Jack Webb. I was a huge Dragnet fan, and when I, I don't know, when I was maybe eighteen years old, I. Saw the DI on television. And scariest I that, movie I ever saw. What's that? Scariest movie I ever saw. Terrifying. And it, <laughs> I also think it's one of the funniest movies ever made. Like it, his webs. I, I'm not sure he's not in on the joke sometimes because it's is just that deadpan seriousness is so funny to me. It's almost not, it's not exactly funny like where you laugh out loud, but it's just so that kind of humor where you're almost in awe of the absurdity of the spectacle. Yeah. And the, D, the DI is often somewhat by full metal jacket coming mm -hmm. after it, but it really was, it was the only thing that depicted that type of maniacal drill instructor for years up until, yeah. up until Kubrick did it. And it's, it, I just love, I love the, maliciousness and the insanity of that performance and how you're supposed to be like yeah he's he's really like making our young men better you know <laughs> it just seems like this abusive psychopath <laughs> screaming and then they, and then they try to throw in a love interest into the film and he's like a it's like a you know a, a robot going <laughs> like a demented, like robocop having a love interest or something <laughs> it's uh but you you asked uh, a question that i always wonder because was he there's such a quality to so many of the things that he did. I mean, it's clearly, you know, he's, he, yeah. I mean, he's obviously good, good at what he did. Well, he was a good he's, director, you know. I mean, he he's did, a good uh, director. Pete Kelly's Blues is good, and I was going to say Pete Kelly's Blues, but but Jack Webb is a jazz man. It's such an odd thing because he's really into it. Like, remember, remember the TV show Emergency had Julie London and Bobby Troop as nurse and doctor. Yeah weird like what was, was he just like well, we, used to, we used to just watch him in college because he was so clueless about what was going on with with young people and that's the, the way that's the way they were great. portrayed in dragnet 69 or whatever the name of that show right was. Uh, oh, the lsd yeah. episode yeah the blue boy yeah blue boy. Is blue i'm green your hair is red <laughs> i mean there's nothing better or when he's you know yelling at hippies it's always so gratifying so <laughs> <laughs> but is it possible that he was in on the joke is it possible i just feel like there's a well, he wasn't he wasn't a dumb guy but he was definitely a, a extremely conservative Super you know and he yeah. was and he, he prided himself on, on on trying to present the other side i mean he's whenever they they did an episode about some some charlatan who was you know getting kids hooked on lsd or whatever 
there would always be a debate kind of a scene where the guy would be able to spew his liberal nonsense and then jack would just chop it down with his yeah. you know and, and it was it was it was a political show really yeah somebody uh somebody on youtube put together a compilation like an hour and a half compilation of just him lecturing pregnant <laughs> and it's, it's rapid fire delivery you just always imagine like did he like did he nail that in one take or did that take all day <laughs> And I think he was just—he was a radio guy, you know. So he knew yeah. how, to, how to talk. And that's—that's that's another thing I love about his his whole body of work is that he casts voices. Mm. It's not really yeah. about Art Gilmore has huge parts in the in the Dragnet. Frank Morgan, yeah, yeah. Because um, I we, love had, we had somebody on the show who um, recently uh, was talking about Jack Webb and about it might have been Dana Gould. And uh, oh, yeah. I've talked he, to he, was, he was talking about how they would have to do the um, they would do the wide shots first because he would be so drunk by the time they did the close ups that, that he couldn't hit his mark. Yeah, he looks pretty when you see all those shows that were not ever meant to be seen in high definition. Yeah, you go, oh, man, it's like except I gotta say, and I said this before, it, it boggles my mind. I got the, the, the Twilight Zone set on Blu ray. And at a time and a place in a world in which nobody involved with that show had any expectation whatsoever of those things being seen in anything better than a shitty little TV with bad reception, they directed them like they were doing feature films. Well, those, that's true. And they were, they and they had MGM's, MGM's gloss to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing this? This is, this is such an insane waste of money to make these shows look so good. Somehow they knew that we'd be looking they at knew. years they later. Life. But yeah, most things don't. But no, the thing with Jack Webb that I get, it's like I look at someone like Chuck Norris, who, you know, has also not evolved in his delivery style one iota in 50 years, but who's just, to me, at least dreadfully boring. And there's something about Jack Webb that's so interesting. And and he's literally, if you watch him for a movie, you know, as you say, like 1954, then you watch him in Dragnet 69, and it's the exact same performance. It's so I always think it's so crazy that he was cast as like the wild beatnik in Sunset Boulevard. That's right. <laughs> really shows a ring. He was an assistant director, so he, he you know he couldn't be that wild. Yeah, I throw a bit. There's a certain precision to everything about, like where you look at Joe Friday's desk, and it's like the pencils are they're all sharpened, and they're yeah, right. yeah. And there's something where you feel like you're in a world of a control freak, which I, I enjoy that. Yes, I always wonder when I watch. I lived there. I always wonder when I watch that show when you know he went through a couple of partners, but then he ended up mainly with Harry Morgan. Yeah. And Harry Morgan was you know a very good actor who had worked been you know worked for years and worked in that, in that show, then worked in other shows, and 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 it's mostly him nodding, listening to Jack talk, and I yeah. just always think, what did he think of doing this? I mean, what what. <laughs> What was his attitude toward being in this in these scenes with Jack Webb for two years, three years, however long it was? Such a game actor, Henry Martin. You know, and I love I love any little intimation of their private life. You know, where yes. like me and the missus would like to have you over for dinner. You know, <laughs> and they're like trying to set him up with a girl or something. You know, then you really get into like, oh, he is like a, a like a weirdo. You know, <laughs> no, something wrong. <laughs> so you can see these shows if you care to on uh, MeTV, uh, where they're broadcast uh, in uh, in in LA. It's at uh, six thirty in the morning, but I guess on the East Coast it's three thirty or something. Is MeTV an advertiser? Um, no, no, unfortunately. I love Although they have a lot of advertisements. 
Yeah, <laughs> for, for Viol- uh, what are this Cialis and Viagra. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny. All a lot of their shows are cartoons, and yeah. all the commercials are for aluminum siding and uh, and heart, <laughs> heart <And> medicine. <laughs> there's no there's no pretense that children are watching at all. It's all it's all for baby boomers. Well, yeah, I should say though, our actual sponsor has has uh, so much dragnet content on DVD uh, over at Movies Unlimited. It's crazy, but um, uh, yeah, that stuff. Um, it, 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 it's funny too. Did you enjoy it? Because I remember as a kid, something across dragnet. I think my grandmother was obsessed with it. And <laughs> to me, it felt like it felt like I my early associations are goddamn. I should I could be watching a cartoon, and I'm watching this. I didn't come. I to, loved it. I loved it. Right, I, right off the I, bat. I, I'm so old. I watch. I listen to the radio show first before it was a TV show. I went. I went back and bought little MP3s of all the old radio shows, and I, I spent like a year listening to only those. Oh, wow! And I really felt like I was just like working, you know, the Bunko Squad on my <laughs> downtown LA after a while. <laughs> ah. Oh my God, that's fantastic! Ragnus. Jack Webb, good lord! This is why we do the show, Joe. That's right. Now you had to be a reason. Just depressing <laughs> that other people have talked about Jack Webb. I always feel that always feels like the bridge too far when I meet film people. I'm like, and Jack Webb, and they're like, eh, I can't, I can't go there. <laughs> I used to go to the, I used to go to the Cock and Bull on Sunset Boulevard, and Jack would always be. Uh, I think he was a part owner, and uh, he would he would have a table right in the corner when he went in. He was always there. He was always smiling, and he was always smashed. Love it. I can, somehow I can't imagine him. I mean, even having seen him on the show, he doesn't like Robert Crawford. I can imagine drunk. I mean, he seems like most of his performances he seemed drunk. But Jack Webb is so buttoned down and so tight. Robert Crawford was so drunk on uh, Highway Patrol. I told you that this. that he couldn't. Oh, he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't drive because he lost his license. So they had, <laughs> that. Yeah, the, the one I heard is that they had to sometimes lay him on the floor and put a filing cabinet next to him, and they would point the camera down while he would do his life. <laughs> Hey, this guy's got an Academy Award, you know? <laughs> you don't have an Academy Award. He's a huge guy, so it probably took a lot to get him in that state. You know, that had to be just like chugging all morning. Yeah, because think about it. The more you drink, the more, like, how how good God. Yeah, it's a yeah but if, if your dialogue is always 10-4, 10-4. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, sooner or later, you'll learn it. Yes. He's always great, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jack Webb's somebody I can't imagine seeing in real life. I think I would... I'm faint or something like you just yeah. seemed like it would be like seeing a Tex Avery cartoon in there, <laughs> <laughs> which which Joe brought to life in his toilet. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, no, it's true. It's funny though because all of this stuff does have a quality. I can't even enunciate it, but I can I can see someone and you you were I mean I don't know any artist who started at, at thirty. I mean you were at a very young age going i i draw i assume correct you were you were kind of oh yeah yeah so this stuff was connecting with you too in this sort of interesting visual way that that really kind of through all of it sort of makes sense as i as i think of it which is really interesting it's all very well the web especially is very clear like he knew i'm going to be in this little box and Mm -hmm. so everything is like you know what you're looking at you know and every there's nothing in the background it's as i was talking about with faster pussycat it's all very visually oriented to characters talking. Yeah. And I think I really picked up all that by osmosis in terms of how to draw characters talking. Mm, sure. 
and he was such a i mean it's such a vivid what was when they did the uh um i mean i read him in reprints with the old mad comic uh dragnet parody amazing um, yeah it's it's they just yeah, really uh, caught something about him <laughs> that's kind of what anything that's really easy to do a funny parody of is almost always great on its own and <laughs> 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 mm. or it's compelling on its own i don't know yes uh, you you may be right i gotta think about that that, that could be true yeah because it's hard it's hard to do a good parody of something that's not interesting right there's got to be something there that's just you know and everybody's done right like larry david's done dragnet bits on on curb your enthusiasm john yeah. did them with webb himself you know even webb did his own bits yeah very straight faced yeah uh well, what's got any more for us this is awesome well all right so i those are all those are all my formative movies there's one movie i should mention that um that i there's one scene in it that was hugely influential it was a movie i uh i saw actually on 42nd street when i first moved to new york uh from 1964 called sin in the suburbs director joe sarno Joe Sarno. This Joe is Joe Sarno. First time Joe Sarno. I was about to say, making his first appearance podcast. after 3,000 episodes. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes. Ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> we should have the duck come down. <laughs> right. I should get like, <laughs> like money showers down on um, Wow. Sin so in he, the suburbs. Sin in the suburbs has a, it's a, it's a, I don't know if you're familiar with the oeuvre of Sarno, but it's one of the better Sarnos. <laughs> It might be the best. There's one. There's a Sarno movie with a very bizarre Woody Allen lookalike that's that's really gruesome. But um, but this is uh, it's a uh, it, it, Sarno really. All his movies are shot two people in a room with like no windows, totally stultifying, and they're just talking. Cut to another two people in another kitchen, no windows, no. And so it's it's that. It's about, you know, it's a suburban town. The movie starts out, everybody's getting on the 721 or whatever the train into New York is. After all the husbands leave, then the wives, you know, all of a sudden the like teenage boyfriend of my daughter comes over and, you know, just all this weird stuff goes on. And so this, this couple in town gets the idea to start like a swingers club, very eyes wide shut. And there's there's one scene in the movie where uh, where a guy puts on this bizarre mask and talks to a room of hooded like people in hoods with robes on who are gonna swap and it's like you know take a number this has a key in it and you will you know you will be paired with whoever has the other key and you will go to this room and it's just this great scene that that stuck with me as this kind of like. Uh, you know, middle American, mid-century, uh, like, like just the kind of gross sex scene, like with real people and like, just it had this grossness and cheapness and ugliness that I thought like, you know, this is my world. <laughs> like, <laughs> very, very, like I relate to this and this, you know, this is much more, uh, compelling to me than, than, you know, seeing actual like beautiful people in a, in an orgy scene or something. Mm. Anyway, it, just, it had this very uh, intense, uh, 
you know, impact on me. And and I rewatched it later, and it wasn't nearly as good. I had embellished it with some. <laughs> oh, that yeah. Uh, and so often hear that with Sarno. You know, I saw it again. It wasn't it didn't have the impact that it had when I was when it was new and thrilling. Yeah. By the way, I feel like I should clarify. We don't do this usually. We just sort of have a little break in the middle and we do a thing for our sponsors, and that's why I don't normally do this. But I, I had to see, and not only uh, uh, and, and movies unlimited has it. There is actually a triple feature Blu-ray. <laughs> no, impossible. Confessions of a Young American Housewife, Warm Nights, Hot Pleasures, and Sin in the Suburbs. I, I can't speak to the other two, but Sin, Sin in the Suburbs. Joe, can you recommend those? Just even to sort of half pay attention is great for that. Well, in the in the Blu-ray, I'm sure the fact that there's only one light source and there's a big shadow on the wall from everybody will be fascinating. Wow, wow. I'm I'm almost compelled. I've never seen it. I don't know if I've actually seen a Sarno mm. film. I just know. Well, you you really can't. You can't you can't let this uh, go on. You you <laughs> have to scratch this itch. <laughs> I can't be the 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 I may have been the first, but I won't be the only one to bring Sarno to your show. I <laughs> now is it the kind of I feel like there was a um, I've seen a bunch of kind of very soft core kind of adult movies from that era where you know, usually they're like the man's wearing underpants or something, and they're all kind of There's writhing. no nudity at all. Oh, no. not at all. Okay, no. I mean, so those ones where they sort of writhe uncomfortably on each other, and it's just gross. Yeah, it's that's it's no, it's more uh, early Russ Meyer, that, but yeah. not even that sexuality. It's very like everybody's just in these weird robes, and it's all implied, and it's all promise and no delivery. Oh wow! Yeah, and it just feels, but it does feel like the actors are probably like like sex workers or something like so it has this vibe of like, oh no yeah. wow wow well um good lord what a, what a great one to go out on <laughs> all right um dan thank you so much man this has been wonderful oh and we haven't even plugged because you've got it, 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 the complete eight ball is coming out in a new a new edition is that it is out as of out. Uh, when, last uh wednesday so as you're listening to this, yes, the complete eight ball in paperback. Is it also the same two volume thing, or is it one? No, it is a giant phone book of of comics. Wow, yeah, fantastic! Cannot recommend it highly, highly, highly enough. It's um, I have my nice hardcover ones here, but uh, it's such good stuff. I mean, if you're a fan of his, you already know it. If you uh, are not familiar with eight ball and you've been listening to this and you've been enjoying these movies, I promise you, if if hearing us talk about Faster Pussy Get Kill Kill and Joe Sarno movies um, <laughs> has tickled your fancy. You can you can go get the complete eight ball right now. You will be very very happy. But, um, yeah, but thank you, Dan. Thank you, Daniel. Yes, thank so you. so very much. It has been a pleasure and an honor speaking with you. Oh, also, I just want to say one. I saw you at, at Comic Con many years ago. You were uh, I think you were uh, doing a tour with Peter Bag, mm -hmm. and I will never forget. It was the I thought one of the ballsiest and funny things I'd ever seen. Somebody. Uh, Dan has a, one of his series is called Young Dan Pussy, which is about a, um, a comic book artist and a sort of rather savage take on the whole comic industry and fans and everything. And, and one of your fans stood up and said, um, how, how does it make you feel that uh, you're having such success uh, mocking the people who's, um, who support you and buy your work? And you smiled and you said, how does it make you feel? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I was like, I love this guy. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs>
So, anyway, thank you so thank very you, much. Dan. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, it's an yes. honor, boys. Thank you. Take, take care. The Movies That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer John Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for the movies that made me. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.